I am excited to have my good friend, Coach Ethan Lazier, joining us on the Dynamic Coaching Tools podcast. Coach Lazier started his coaching journey as the head student manager of the Central Michigan University men's basketball team under head coach Ernie Ziegler in the 2010-2011 season. Following that year, Coach Lazier jumped into the high school level coaching junior varsity boys basketball at Mount Pleasant Sacred Heart Academy, as well as coaching AAU basketball for Hoop Grind Michigan. During those three years, he was instrumental in helping numerous athletes have the opportunity to get college athletic scholarships and continue playing. In the 2014-2015 season, Coach Lazier joined the staff at Shadron State College in Nebraska as an assistant coach and was responsible for recruiting, opponent scouting, film breakdown, and team travel arrangements. In 2015, Coach Lazier got to return home to the state of Michigan to become an assistant coach at Davenport University. Over the next two years, Davenport University was one of the top NAIA programs in the entire country with a combined record of 56 wins to only 14 losses. This past season, Davenport University jumped into NCAA Division II and went 13-15 and 15 in their first season at that level. It is my belief with the resources and the coaching staff that is at Davenport University that it won't be too long before they're one of the top Division II programs in the country. We're really excited to have Coach Leisure joining us to talk offense, a little bit about an analytics study that he recently did, and then what it's like to be a young coach trying to climb the coaching ranks. Thanks for joining us and giving us your time as we attempt to grow the game. We're excited to have Coach Ethan Leisure from Davenport University joining us on the Dynamic Coaching Tools podcast. How are you doing today, Coach? I'm good, Dougie B. How are you? Good, good. So as our listeners will learn here pretty quick, uh, I'm going to refer to you as Coach Lazer, but uh, we've known each other for a while and are good friends and, um, you know, just really excited. We we probably learn from each other on a weekly basis, but excited for everyone else to hear some of our crazy conversations. Right, right, right. So let's uh, let's jump in right away with Davenport University. You know, I, I know the history of it, but there's going to be a lot of people listening from, you know, kind of all over the country. Tell us about Davenport University's men's basketball program and what your role is on the staff, Coach. Uh-huh. Well, when you when you think about Davenport University men's basketball, or if you're familiar with the program, uh, first thing you think about is, is Burt Paddock, and that's our, our head coach. And he actually uh, just received his uh, 10 years of service award at our school at a, at a banquet last week. So, um, you know, he's he's been spearheading the program uh, for a decade now, and uh, it's gone from, you know, being a, a program that, you know, before he was there, uh, didn't have a winning season to, to winning 20 games in his first year there. Uh, and has since been to, to now three different uh, Final Fours at the NAI Division II level, um, you know, and just had a, a crazy amount of success on the court in terms of winning games and, and players, you know, having great individual accomplishments, and then also, and more importantly, guys doing well off the floor, uh, whether that's, you know, guys pursuing their their non-basketball goals or guys going to play overseas, you know, whatever guys have wanted to do coming into our program, uh, they've been able to do that uh, in Coach Paddock's tenure. So uh, for those for those who aren't familiar, he's he's the guy that's kind of, uh, you know, led the charge and helped the program uh, be successful in the last decade. Uh, and then as far as, as, far as me, uh, this upcoming season will be my fourth uh, with Coach Paddock. Um, you know, I, I'm in charge of, 
our offense, you know, we all we all collaborate on just about everything. But um, I, one of my titles is the offensive coordinator. Uh, we all have our own recruiting responsibilities as well. But one of my titles is as the recruiting coordinator uh, to go along with that. Um, you know, individual workouts, I'll, I'll work mostly with the, the fours and fives. Um, and then I do a lot with our compliance director, uh, which that that job has become uh, increasingly uh, more time-consuming as we've made this transition from NAI to NCAA Division II, and, uh, and then also work with our financial aid department, housing, you know, help the guys, you know, our players with all their, you know, on-campus questions they might have uh, outside of our program. So those are kind of the different hats I wear with the program. Uh, I've done – you know, a few other things throughout my time there, but the last couple of years, that's kind of been what I've consistently focused on. Um, so it's, you know, we, we all kind of collaborate on a lot of those things together, but those are definitely the main things that I'm in charge of uh, keeping up with. Yeah, so but before we jump into kind of what you guys do offensively, one thing that, that I'd be curious to hear, and I'm sure others would as well, you have the the role or, or you know two of the hats you wear is the that offensive coordinator and also the recruiting coordinator. So uh, I'd be curious, you know, as you're out recruiting and looking for players, how much do you focus on fitting guys to your system as opposed to just going and finding the best players available and then fitting your system to those guys? What's the philosophy for yourself and and the staff as far as recruiting to your system? Yeah, it would be more definitely more of getting the best player slash person possible and then molding what we want to do schematically around the players once we have them. Um, so coach puts a lot of stock into obviously having talented guys, but uh, good people as well. Uh, guys that he thinks will, will buy into the, the team first mantra. Um, so we we're definitely more along the lines of finding you know, the, the best players and people that we can and then molding what we're going to do offensively around them. Uh, so then obviously that leaves room and flexibility for change in what we're doing offensively every year, uh, which is, is actually, you know, I, I don't think I'd rather have it any other way because I think that um, adds to the uh, creativity you have to have as a coach uh, in, that, in that regard. Uh, you're always thinking about, you know, the new crop of guys you have coming in and the returners and how they're going to mix and what your team is, is going to be good at uh, for the following year and then trying to figure out, okay, what can we do as coaches to help put these guys in the best positions possible uh, that fits their skill sets. So um, there's, there's a couple of things that we'd like to do every year. There's a certain way we'd like to play, uh, but we're, we're definitely always looking to, to tweak things. Um, to, to fit our guys' skill sets. So what what are some of those things, Coach? What are some of the things that you guys are kind of the staples of what you do every year? And, and then um, I guess if you could talk a little bit on offensively what it is you did last year that you know might be a little bit different as you transition into your second year in Division Two. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, one thing that we've consistently done in, the, in at least the four years that I've been here um, – is we're, we're trying to run. We're trying to push the pace of the game. Uh, and it actually starts on the, the defensive side and pressuring the ball and creating turnovers and running on, on misses and turnovers. And even, you know, after giving up a made basket, trying to get the ball up the floor as quickly as possible. Um, you know, we've found that the, 
you know, we'll, and we're going to talk a little bit about analytics and, uh, you know, numbers that can help you understand who you are as a team and what you do well. Um, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is the the faster we play, the better chance we have to win. Uh, that's, you know, reflected, you know, through numbers and facts. So we're, we're always trying to do that. Um, now, you know, if you, you know, guy goes down in the middle of the season, that's, a, a primary ball handler or one of the guys you trust and maybe you're not as deep at the guard spot in a certain year maybe that's something you tweak uh you know try to keep your turnovers down whatever have you there's a lot of things that can happen um that you know will will cause you to tweak that but going into every year i think we're you know we're definitely trying to push the pace and then you know geared more towards the half court now uh we want to attack the paint uh off the bounce so we don't want to we want to spread it out we want to attack the rim uh we want to get to the, the free throw line as often as possible that's something that we found has uh been really really good for us um that's something that we've done really well over over the years and uh you know actually last year our first year in the GLIAC um you know we were the number one team in terms of what percentage of our possessions ended in a, a shooting foul uh, so that's something that we, we stress a lot to our guys to be aggressive, get into the paint, and then obviously making the right plays, uh, but definitely being aggressive uh, going to the rim. So I would say those are probably the two things that year in and year out we would, we'd like to do. Obviously, if you don't have the personnel to do that, then you're not going to, you know, do it and just beat your head against the wall all year. But, um, you know, usually we've got the guys that uh, can play that way for us. Good. So, so what would be some of those changes then? So you're trying to run, you're trying to get fouled. You know, I think we'll talk a little bit here, uh, later on about that transition from NAI to Division Two, but you kind of got thrown in the fire this year and got to, I'm sure, absorb and learn a lot as a staff. So what are some of the things that, that you're going to do differently? Um, might be personnel based, might be kind of a reaction to some of the things you've all experienced this year in your league, but, uh, what, what'll be a little bit different offensively for, for Davenport this year? Uh, well, I think to the main thing that we have to improve on is taking care of the ball. That was something that, uh, you know, we did not do as well last year as we had in years past. And again, that, you know, part of that is probably because you're, you're playing against bigger, stronger, more athletic guys on a, a night in, night out basis. Uh, you gotta be a little more disciplined than in years past. And, you know, we had a lot of guys on our team that, you know, had played three years, you know, two years of NAIA basketball. Uh, and it's, it's definitely a different level in a lot of different respects. So I would say one thing that we'll do this year uh, is we will definitely emphasize uh, taking care of the ball. Uh, and not to – you got to be careful because you don't want to take away guys' aggressiveness. Um, but that's something that we haven't necessarily hammered home in the past. Guys have just been able to, to make the plays more consistently. I think that's something we just need to be – a little more disciplined in this year. Um, you know, we, we've had a couple things that we do in the half court, um, you know, some, some sets we've ran in the past uh, that were a little more effective at the NAI level uh, than they were last year at the Division II level. Uh, so maybe, you know, mixing up a little bit of our, uh, you know, what you, some people would call quick hitters, um, just things that maybe are a little more um, tougher to scout, a little more freedom and flexibility within what we do. Uh, felt like teams at this level, uh, you know, at Division Two, there's there's more full-time assistant coaches, there's more coaching help. Whereas sometimes at the NAI level, it's maybe one full-time head coach, um, 
you know, and he, he doesn't have as much help from his assistants who maybe are, you know, working a full-time job during the day and they make it to, to practice for half the practice or something like that. Um, so, and that's not to say the coaches in the WAC at the NAI level don't do a great job because they do. Uh, just there, there's more resources at the Division two level. So I think the scouting we found out was a little better as well, um, which would kind of lead us to, like I mentioned earlier, have a little more flexibility in what we do in the half court uh, make it a little tougher to scout. Um, that's kind of one of the things that we've talked about here heading into heading into fall. Yeah, that's uh that's interesting with the the turnovers. I'm gonna kind of use that to to push a little bit into the analytics stuff. But you and I spent some time talking over the summer about um, some of those measurables, some of the things that coaches use to to figure out if you know what we focus on is actually transitioning over to the way that we play. And yeah, I'm a big believer that there's kind of you know, we call them magic numbers and. And we have those five measurables in, in our high school program down here in Houston that as long as we win three of those five, we've actually been undefeated in the six years I've been here. And uh, it's not very pretty when we don't. And um, So as you studied some of those analytics, uh, you know, kind of looked into some of that stuff, what are some of those measurables that, that you're looking to use? How are you going to use them in-game? And um, have you been able to kind of uh, wrap your, your head around some of that stuff to, to try to make your, your team better? Um, and your staff better, you know, as y'all are, are in the middle of those wars in the GLIAC. Yeah, and I, I think the the key phrase that you said there that was really important to us going into this year was what can you measure in-game that can help you adjust, you know, during the game? Because a lot of times, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to, after a game, go back and say, you know, well, we should have done this, we should have done that, and then you're, you know, maybe – someone's watching film uh, and they're taking down stats after the game. And it's like, well, that might help you for next game. It might help you for what you're tweaking going forward. But every, every game is important, obviously. So, you know, a big, a big stress to us was going to be, you know, this year, what are we, you know, what are, what are we going to hang our hat on both, both sides of the ball? And how do you effectively measure those things in the game? And I think the, the biggest challenge in that for us, and probably for all uh, small college basketball programs is, you know, when you look at the Louisvilles and Dukes and Michigan States of the world, you see uh, a couple graduate managers behind the bench, a couple, uh, you know, student managers. Uh, everybody's got three full-time coaches. There's, you know, new full-time coaching positions coming into play. There's a dobo on every staff. So you've got uh, a lot of guys that can kind of keep track of things during the game. And uh, you come to, you know, a small college basketball game, you don't see near as many, you know, bodies and suits and ties on the benches. Um, so you've got to be uh, very poignant in, in what you're doing. You have to know exactly what you want to get out of those numbers or else you're, uh, you're really just wasting your time, I think. So, um, you know, kind of the, the two things I mentioned earlier that we'd want to, we want to do every year. And I think we've, we've got the, the guys to do it this year as well is, is playing fast and driving to the basket. So, um, you know, how do you most effectively measure those two things? And if you, if you start with playing fast, um, one of the, one of the people I talked to, uh, you know, this summer, uh, kind of talked a little bit about, okay, so if you're wanting to play fast, does that mean, are you looking to see how successful you are in, in transition or is it just, are you, getting into transition are you doing a good job of pushing the pace and i think that's a a very important distinction there and i would i would say the latter is what's most important to us because you can't 
necessarily control if you if you make the shots or if you finish the plays in transition, but it, you can control every single time. Are you pushing the ball? Are you getting the ball up the floor? Are we playing fast? Um, so one of the things that we kind of talked about is can you can you effectively measure um, how quickly you get in the transition every time? So maybe you set a benchmark. Um, so you kind of talked about uh, magic numbers there for a second. So um, if a certain percentage of your uh, possessions, can you get the ball across half court in two seconds or three seconds or whatever that benchmark is? Uh, that's something that we haven't done in the past or measured in the past. We've talked about measuring uh, in the upcoming year. And it's okay, is that, first of all, is that effective? Is that going to help us? Uh, and second of all, is it realistic to be able to measure that every single time? Uh, or is that something that you're going to, you know, lose track of halfway through the game because you're doing something else that's more important? Uh, so that's kind of one to kind of, you know, measure that that first and, you know, most important thing is are we, are we playing fast or are we pushing the ball? Uh, second one we talked about, saying offensive point earlier, was driving to the basket. Um, so what's the, the purpose of driving to the basket for us? It's um, getting to the free throw line and obviously creating uh, creating driving kick situations or driving dump down situations. So uh, you're, you're trying to measure there. Are you measuring, again, the percentage of shots you make off driving kicks or are you trying to measure how often – your drives are creating, you know, what a quality shot is. So the first thing is that you have to deem what, what is a quality shot? What, what are the type of shots that you are looking for? Is it the, the kick out three? Do you put more emphasis on the, the shooting fouls or scores at the rim? Is there equal emphasis on all those types of things? So, uh, you know, figuring out what is a quality shot for you and are you creating those shots with your drives in the paint? Um, so keeping it simple, uh, and, you know, we're obviously doing a podcast here, and I heard in a podcast recently, um, I think it was Kevin Eastman uh, said it, it was um, success lies in simplicity and confusion lies in sophistication. So that was a little nugget I took for that. So you don't want to you don't want to trick yourself into thinking that, you know, the more complicated and in-depth it is, the more effective it's going to be. It's, you know, can you – effectively measure that in the game. So are your are your drives creating quality shots or not? And then are you converting on those quality shots? So, you know, obviously I think that the most important thing is defining what's important to you on that side of the floor. And like I said, for us that's, you know, playing fast and driving to the basket, driving to the paint. And how do you come up with the most effective way to measure those things? And if your guys are doing those things yeah that's those are great points and and i think one thing and when you talk about keeping it simple just to, to share a couple ideas that uh, actually on both of those on playing in transition and you know trying to drive it to the rim there's a, a great follow on twitter um radius athletics and that's one point that, that he encouraged me to look into one year that i'll share is uh, how many times you pass the ball across half court versus dribble it across half court. And, you know, that, that year that I was working with him a little bit on some stuff, he has an awesome program called Ramp for, uh, for, for coaches. And one of the things that, that, you know, I noticed as we charted some of those numbers was our points per possession were significantly higher when we passed the ball across the half court line. Now, I don't know if you can, you could probably chart it in a game. It was really easy to chart on film. Um, 
And so that that's something that, you know, if we're throwing the ball ahead, whether we're hitting a rim runner or, or hitting someone up the wing, um, when you're pitching that thing ahead, obviously you are playing fast. Guys are getting out in front of the ball. Um, it's it's really beneficial. So, you know, I, I think that was one that, that was an easy one. And then as far as the drives to the, to the basket, you know, I'll be curious to talk again at the end of the year to see what you figure out because when guys get to the rim or, or get in the lane, really the defense gets to decide if they want to fake out and try to cover your perimeter shooters and make mm-hmm. that guy go score a tough two. And so um, this summer uh, we were at, at, at um, Queens University for the Jay Billis camp, and um, they mm-hmm. just chart just getting in the paint. You know, a couple of coaches there, quite a few coaches talked about just simply can we get the basketball into the paint. And yeah. the belief was that if you get it in the paint um, and, and you make it a point of emphasis to get get in the paint, you're going to get fouled. Um, that's something with analytics. A lot of guys, I don't, I don't know that they recognize the best shot in basketball, um, as far as analytics are concerned, is getting yourself out. When you get yourself fouled, uh, you, you can't miss. You know, you get to go shoot free throws. It doesn't count as a missed, uh, missed shot. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be real curi- really curious. You know, I'm, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, we talk all the time, but, um, curious to see what your numbers show you and, and, uh, would want to jump into that. But those are two really simple ways just, paint touches and how many times do we pass the ball across half court versus dribbling it across that, you know, for coaches at the high school level that, to your point, have even fewer suits on the sideline than what you have there at the D2 level, those are really easy ways to, to measure both of those things. Yeah, exactly. And, again, it's, uh, it's our, at our level and, you know, small college basketball, and you just mentioned it, it's what can you what can you do that's simple and effective and is, is geared towards your team. And uh like where you went with the uh, – the driving to the basket there because that's uh much easier to chart than uh you know whether or not you're getting a, a certain kind of shot out of it you know just in general paint touches and you know it's uh there's a lot of different things that can happen you know when the ball's in the teeth of the defense whether it's good or bad um so you have you want to have a a good idea of what's happening once you get there as well again we had a an issue with turnovers last year so if your guys are are driving to the paint. Maybe we're getting to the paint a ton, but maybe, you know, our guys, once they get there, can they make those plays? You know, so maybe it's, uh, we're getting to the paint a ton, but we're, our points per possession are, are down, you know, probably means that we got guys that can get there, but maybe can't make the plays or, you know, they're, they're making the right plays, kicking it out, but we can't make the open shots. So uh, I think a lot of it is how you uh, interpret, you know, your, your numbers as well. Cause I think there's, a lot of different ways uh, things can be interpreted. You could you could say the the root cause of you know one thing could be a number of different things. Uh, one of the one of the things you you talked about earlier with with your girls, I think that um you know you can uh, there's a lot of a lot of different ways uh, that one event can be caused. So how you interpret those things is is something that we've talked about as a staff as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, you know, coaching really is about trade-offs and that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. you talked earlier about turnovers and thought it was an awesome point about not wanting to take away the player's aggressiveness. And that's something that, you know, obviously in girls high school basketball, we deal with quite a bit, but ultimately all coaches do. It's just our magic numbers are a little bit different. So for us, it's, it's, yeah. we encourage that we want under 16 turnovers and we don't hide from it. I think, you know, being able to stand there in front of your basketball team and say, look, we're not asking you to be perfect. We're not asking you to never turn the thing over. 
there's just certain types of turnovers we don't want. We don't want pick sixes. You know, we don't want to throw a negative pass and watch them go make a layup. You know, we, we want to make sure if we're turning it over, we're aggressively pursuing the opportunity to make a play. And so um, 16's just been our number at the high school girls level. Obviously, if you guys turn it over 16 times, it looks a lot worse than when we do it probably. But um, <laughs> yep. do you ha- do you guys have some of those magic numbers as far as points you're trying to hold people to or or whether it be a rebounding number or, or the free throw attempts or, or, or turnovers? Do you have some of those in place or are those in that transition to Division Two still kind of a work in, in, in progress? Well, I think – well, we don't, first of all, to, to answer your question. Uh, there might be – you know, we might give the guys a mini goal for a game. Uh, but there's not a game-to-game, you know, system or series of magic numbers we have. And a, and a reason for that is because you don't always know what the pace of the game is going to be. Um, and, again, it's we're trying to push it all the time. Uh, but when you play against, uh, for instance, Michigan Tech, a uh, really, really good program, really, really good team in our league, they play significantly slower than we do on a, on a game-by-game basis. So, for us to say there has to be X number of turnovers or X numbers of assists in a given game, well, that could be skewed a little bit um, by the pace of that game. Now, obviously, if you're you're doing a really good job and you're you're playing at the pace you want to play, then you can be a little more consistent with those things. And obviously, like you alluded to earlier, you're, it seems to work for you guys, and uh, you've I think you said you've been undefeated when you achieve at least three of your five magic numbers each game. Um, so it, there's some validity to that, but just for, for that reason, we, we don't have those things in place. Yeah, oh, that, that's that's a really good point. That makes a, a ton of sense. And, um, you know, I, that's one of the things I do think is extremely overlooked when it comes to game preparation and that that planning, you know, we all want to stop the other team's best sideline out of bounds set or where we want to make sure that we know the way that they're going to guard our ball screens. But a lot of times when you watch a basketball game, especially it seems to be at the college level, but, um, you know, it's at the high school level as well. It's, it's really a battle of tempo. And I have to imagine, you know, when you get into some of those, there's there's probably times that that's really all you talk about in your timeouts is, guys, we got to go. Like this is, we are not playing the way that we want to play. And, uh, a lot of times it can be hard. Players get frustrated, I'm sure, you know, when the game gets slowed down. But um, with you guys always wanting to play fast, I'm sure that's a real point of emphasis for, for your staff. It is, yeah. And it for us, it always starts with we, – we believe it always starts with, uh, you know, what you're doing on the defensive end because obviously it's a lot easier to play fast and play in transition if you're, you know, first and foremost creating live ball turnovers – uh, but then obviously, secondly, if you're forcing misses, uh, you know, securing the rebound and then, you know, busting your tail out and, and getting in your lanes and, and pushing the ball from there. Uh, we, we encourage the advance across half court that you touched on earlier. Um, you know, we, we always tell our guards, if, if you can't advance it, you know, slice it across the court. If you keep it in your hands, make the defense change a little bit that way. Um, so what we talk about pace and tempo you know, a lot of it always in games is if you, uh, you know, if you get stops, though, it's a lot easier to play fast. You know, you're obviously giving up made baskets or the, the dead ball turnovers, which are, are good. They're not as good as the live ball turnovers, but the defense gets a chance to set itself and you're playing in a more of a half-court game. And like I said, you know, Michigan Tech, they're not going to 
they're not going to crash a bunch of guys on the offensive glass so they can set up their defense more consistently so you're not playing in transition. So, you know, that might be a game where we try to, to trap a little more or press a little more, just throw, you know, little things in there like that if we feel like we're playing somebody that plays slower than normal. Um, so, you know, game to game it differs. You know, you're talking about what we emphasize in timeouts. You know, that, that differs game to game as well. We might uh, have a couple – you know, we're always going to have a couple points of emphasis for the game. Again, we try to keep it simple. We don't, you know, give the guys a ton of information before the games. We want them to, to you know, play freely and, you know, not beating themselves is always the, the number one goal. You know, if you can, you know, make sure you're not shooting yourself in the foot and you worry about what we're doing and execute what we're doing, um, you know, that's going to be, you know, more than half the battle. Uh, but we're, we're always trying to come up with a couple different things, you know, game to game that we can emphasize the guys uh, in timeouts as well. Yeah, there's some, some great takeaways there. You know, I think the, the theme really there about keeping it simple is, is just gold. You know, uh, that, that quote from Coach Eastman was, was really, really good. I'll make sure to throw that on our Dynamic Coaching Tools Twitter page. Um, if you guys have questions, you know, definitely – uh, at the end of this, we'll, we'll make sure we get Coach Lazer's information. And um, if you're interested in any of those magic numbers that I threw out for our high school program, same thing. Reach out to Dynamic Coaching Tools, and we'll we'll get it to you, Coach. Before I let you go, I, I, I've got one topic I wanted to spend some time on. That um, you know, I would think there's quite a few listeners that would be interested in. But there's kind of this this uh, thought I think a lot of times that being a college coach is, is a glamorous job. It's, it's really, really great. It's really, really, it's all basketball. And I heard Tom Izzo on a, a podcast recently that thought it was really interesting. They were talking about the percentage of time you actually spend on basketball. He's talking about NBA coaches get to spend a hundred percent of their time. And I think I want to say the number Izzo throughout was like his assistants get to spend 15 or 20 percent of their time and he's about the same on actually coaching basketball so if you can just talk a little bit about some of the challenges of being a young assistant kind of you know when college coaches use the, the phrase the grind um wh- what is that grind what is it that uh are, are some of those challenges and what's the realistic situation as a young coach um trying to work your way up well well yeah so certainly i'd say the first thing is the perception of it being glamorous um you know that's uh definitely a farce you know it, it is a grind and for a, a lot of different reasons there's a lot of different facets uh, of that and i think uh you know just in a, in a general sense first and foremost is um and this de- depends on your level and, and your budget as well but uh, there's always quite a bit of travel involved so um, that can take a little bit out of you um you know it, it depends on where you're going to like you know we'll once a year we get to we'll play grand valley which is just 15 minutes up the road uh and then you know last year we actually traveled to the upper peninsula of michigan three different times three different trips all the way up to the up so yeah we uh it's you know those trips can can take a lot out of you and so that's you know one minor facet of it i think what uh coach Izzo said on the podcast is it's certainly true you know i kind of touched on uh some of the, you know, facets of, you know, you know, what my titles quote unquote might be for our team, but there's, there's so many things that you do that don't fall under the umbrella of a title. Um, and I think the, the 15 to 20% number, like I said, I think that's, 
I would say that that's very accurate. Um, you know, if hopefully, you know, if you do a good enough job recruiting the right people, you don't have fires to put out. Um, hopefully nothing too serious ever, but there's always things that, that come up and that you, you end up spending time on. And, you know, in, in small college athletics, you know, you're sharing gym time and gym space. So you're always trying to get those things coordinated and you're sharing buses and you're getting those things coordinated. You're always traveling with, uh, not always, but a lot, a lot of schools are traveling, you know, both their men's and women's team at the same time. So you're coordinating travel plans, not only for your team, but trying to make sure it matches up with, you know, the, the, the girls that are traveling with you. Um, so there's, and, and you know, that's just a couple of things you do. Um, you know, you're always trying to, to stay on top of your guys, making sure they're doing a, a great job in the classroom, making sure they're doing a great job on campus, being great ambassadors for your program. Um, you know, those things are, are just as important, if not more important, than, you know, their their performance on the court. So uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of guys out there, and I was, you know, the same exact way. Um, before you, you get a chance to, to coach at the college level, um, you definitely – you get wrapped up in, in watching, you know, Big Ten games on Sunday afternoons on CBS um, in front of sold-out crowds and – you know, guys working, you know, working the sidelines and, and coaching in that way. And you watch YouTube videos of guest speakers and you're, you're getting all your X's and O's stuff together. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's just so much more than that. And I think the one thing that you do as a coach that um, I, I wouldn't consider this basketball, but it definitely bleeds into uh, players' performance on the court and, and in the classroom as well, but just, the relationship building. Uh, we spend we spend so much time trying to just spend time with our players, talking to our players, getting to them to know them as, as people and getting to know about their families and what their goals might be outside of basketball because not every you know, not every and mostly not any player's goal, you know, coming to Davenport University is to, to be a lottery pick. Uh, within a couple of years, or so and then the rest and goes the rest of the other Division two schools and small college basketball schools. So, um, you know, you're you're spending a lot of time just building relationships with guys. Um, so, and you know, from a a numerical standpoint, you know, starting October fifteenth of every year, we get twenty hours a week with our guys, uh, whether that's practice or film. Or, you know, on game days, it's an automatic three hours against your 20 hours. Um, so, you know, you're a lot of time you're traveling for recruiting outside of that. So if you're, if you're only using 20 hours a week with your guys, uh, you know, you're definitely working more than a normal 40 hour a week schedule because your job, um, it never, it, it never really ends. The, the other, the other part of it that, that can, uh, you know, it's, it's, can be exhausting at times, but the, the part of the grind is that you, it, it's not a, you know, a nine to five, you know, you're, you're not just working a normal work day. Um, different teams practice at different times of night. Um, you know, once high school basketball season starts, you're, you're traveling to, to high school games twice a week on games or on nights where you're not traveling to high school basketball games, you're, you're on the phone while you're at home. And I think it's, it's very, very important to, to find that balance and not, uh, you know, work yourself so much that, you know, halfway through the season you're, you're burnt out because I think that's a, a very real thing. Um, 
but it's definitely there's a there's a lot of things that play into that you know the word grind like you talked about but i think if you're you know first of all if you're taking care of yourself in terms of you're getting as much sleep as you possibly can you know whether that's four five six hours on a given night you know will will differ um but you're you're eating right you're exercising i think those things go a long ways with trying to to mitigate how much that that grind takes away from you uh, but there's definitely uh, a lot of different things that that go into that. Um, I think the I think the the point you mentioned at the beginning is is really good for any younger guys. Uh, not that I'm a extremely old guy by any means, but for any anybody that's looking to get into college coaching, just understanding that it's not um, it's not as much just pure basketball uh, as you think as you think it is. There's a, there's a lot more to it and. Um, if you really enjoy the basketball parts of it, um, you know, the, the other stuff doesn't always feel like work. Uh, it makes the basketball stuff a lot more rewarding when you do get to focus in on that stuff. That's obviously where, you know, we're all competitive people. We all want to, you know, help the, you know, in general, 17 to 22-year-old young man improve not only on the court but more importantly off the court. Um, so those are the, the reasons that you do it. Um, you're not always getting to do the things you want to do, but um, when you are participating in those things you want to do, the grind makes you uh, appreciate those things that much more. So it, it, yeah, I'm going to ask a follow-up here that I'm curious to know yeah. your thought on. I was talking to a coach recently a little bit about you know, kind of managing the pressure. You talked about taking care of yourself and, and getting to sleep when you can, and you know, exercising. And but, you know, you've got so much as a college coach invested into the the success of your team and of your program. And you know, obviously, you're trying to build relationships. But deep down, these kids they know, you know, that that your job and your livelihood is dependent on their ability to perform. So, how do you find a balance with that? You know, how, how do you when you're feeling those high pressure moments? You know, you guys have been extremely successful, so um, obviously. That that helps, but when you get in those those you know slumps this past year, you, you lose a couple games in a row. Um, how do you, how do you separate establishing the relationship with the player, but also wanting to be able to push them? Because I mean, in essence, with them being on campus, you're kind of their guardian. You're their parent. You know, I, I know for for me, I'm always fascinated when you've got people who coach their own kids. How do you okay. how do you put on the dad hat or the you know the uncle hat and you know, versus being coach so what's the what's that like that can't be easy as a, as a younger guy trying to work through some of those challenges yeah i think the so first and foremost um you know i think in general the the question it sounds like is what um how do you manage being a a go-to person for them but also getting on them when they need it um and you talked about guys that coach their kids um i i don't have any kids of my own but when i was working for you and we were uh doing the hoop grind thing i got a chance to coach uh my little brother and uh you know all four of my little brothers honestly and um it's definitely a a fine line and i think you know first and foremost they have you have to behave in a way that is not you're not their their best buddy or pal like you can be someone to talk to you need to be relatable but there's there's a big difference between just being somebody's friend and being someone that they look up to and respect and i think that that 
most importantly comes from how you how you carry yourself, um, how you interact with them. And then I think next is just understanding that everybody's different. Um, you know, your relationship with a 17-year-old true freshman is going to be much different than a, you know, graduate transfer that's going to be with you for one season. Um, you know, obviously those, those graduate transfers, those older guys are transfers. They've, they've been through it a couple of years. They've kind of, they've got some experience under their belt. They need, you know, a little bit different, uh, mentoring than a, you know, a, a new blood needs. So, um, understanding that your relationship with each guy is, is going to be different, I think is important as well. You're not going to treat all those guys the same. And then I think understanding that, or excuse me, explaining to players and helping them understand that when you when you are getting out of them and pushing them, it's it's for them. You know, coaches. You know, I I can't imagine there's too many coaches out there that just enjoy being stressed out and yelling at people all day. It's <laughs> you know, it's some guys. You know, the guys when when you're getting on somebody, if they think that you are attacking them. Uh, then you're, you're not going to get very far, obviously. If they understand that you are pushing them because you want them to be at a level that they didn't even understand that they could be at, you have a, a completely different scenario. And that all goes back, and I'm going to say it's the, it's the most cliche thing. I'm, I guarantee you know exactly where I'm going with this. But, uh, you know, players don't care what you know until they know that you care or something along those lines. So it's fostering those relationships early on. Uh, I mentioned getting to those, those guys as people and their families. Um, so you're not just a, you know, authority figure that's just, you know, on them, pushing them, you know, in, in different facets of their life. They, they, they have to know that you care about them and your purpose for being there and for giving them direction that, so they're improving. So making sure those guys understand that uh, is important. I think that just comes from your relationship and, and how you how you carry yourself with those guys. Yeah, that's that's terrific, and and that's the yeah, I've known you for a while now. Obviously, you you mentioned you you know coached in in our AAU program uh, years ago, and that's been one of the differentiating factors you know that for you that's always stood out. You know, I, I can genuinely say I know you were you used probably one of my favorite favorite little you know kind of cliche catchphrases there but you know it's the the don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and that is that really coach defines who you are as a person the the impact you had on the young men in our program um went so far beyond basketball and it's it's one of the reasons why i think that you're going to be a star uh in this profession uh, uh another one is you just Thank you. Seems so hungry to learn all the time, Coach. That's that's the thing that I like. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a Kevin Eastman one out there since you threw one earlier. He he talked this summer about there being two types of people. There's uh, know it alls and there's learn it alls. And and learn it alls are the people who continue to evolve, continue to grow. And so, you know, anybody listening to this podcast is trying to get better. And so, just to end uh, you know our little episode here, our, our chat. What are a couple things you're working on? to try to improve your coaching this season, um, you know, so that you can continue to grow so that when you get your chance to be a head coach, you're ready. What, what, what are some of those things? Yeah, I think 
uh, one thing we talked about earlier were, were the in-game measurables, um, and that kind of plays into to one thing that I think I can definitely do a, a better job of or continue to improve of as an assistant, and that's, you know, within the games, how are you relaying information to your head coach and decision maker? So there's obviously a lot of moments in games that are high intensity, uh, you know, a lot of emotions going on. If you ever been to one of our games, you know, Coach Paddock is a, an emotional guy, and that carries over to our guys and how hard they play every possession. Uh, it's a big part of who he is as a coach and why he's had his success. And so you you got to go from him, you know, in the game, very intense. Okay, now you've got a timeout, and you've got 30 seconds to get your point across to help him, you know, make the decision that's best for your team you know, in the coming possessions, maybe the possibly the waning moments of the game. So I think a, a big part of what we were trying to do with the in-game measurables is being able to have something we're hanging our hat on so that in the timeouts we can, you know, immediately say, okay, this is what we're not doing right now. Uh, so that's probably an example for earlier in the game before you get to the waning moments. But, again, how do you how do you more effectively communicate in games, in that short window of time you have in a timeout or, you know, on the bench during, you know, live play. I think that's something that um, you know, I'd definitely like to improve on uh, going into this year. Uh, and a big part of that is our our spread, you know, in terms of the, the final scores uh, and the final spreads of, of the games this year uh, was closer, uh, you know, smaller margins than it, it has been uh, in, in the years that I've been at. Davenport. Uh, so we're playing in a lot more closer games. Um, and I think that, you know, for our staff to continue to grow and continue to improve how sharp we can be in games uh, is of, you know, a, a huge importance, uh, especially, you know, if you're going to be playing in a lot more close games. It, it's important anyways. It's something that, you know, you should make sure your cohesiveness and communication as a staff in games, you know, regardless of what level you're at or what the spread is, um, it's always important. But obviously, if you're playing in a lot more games that are, are coming down to the wire, uh, you've got to make sure that, that you're at your best there, uh, you know, so your players can, can feed off your confidence and, and your communication so they can be at their best as well. Terrific. So so we're finishing up here, Coach, and, and I okay. can only imagine – how tired everyone's hands must be from some scribbling down notes. I've been typing notes as, as we've been talking. You know, I we I think we've learned a lot from each other over the years, and and I really value the friendship. Oh, yeah. But I'm lucky I can call you on the cell phone. I can shoot you a text. I have ways to reach you. Um, for those who are listening, where can they find you on social media? Where can they where can they get you? Is there an email address or anything you can share? Because you know, I would love for for all the coaches listening in to have the opportunity to to shoot you a message, ask questions, kind of follow up on some of the the points that maybe I missed as we kind of jumped around all over the place. Yeah, so uh, probably the the best way to get a hold of me is is at my uh, Davenport email address. Uh, something that, that comes straight to my phone and I obviously uh, check every day. Uh, it, it's my first initial, last name at Davenport.edu. So that's E-L-E-A-S-H-E-R at Davenport.edu. That's D-A-V-E-N-P-O-R-T.edu. Um, like I said, I've, that 
come straight to my phone and check that every day. So um, if there's anybody that would like to, you know, shoot, I mean, you can shoot me some ideas. I'm always, like you said, I'm always looking to learn and grow. And, um, you know, anybody has any questions or, you know, local guys interested in coming to a practice or anything like that, uh, feel free to, to shoot me an email. Perfect. I'll uh, I'll also include that information on our uh, social media platforms and, and on our website as well for any coaches listening in. And then um, just appreciate it. Thanks a lot for coming on and, and spending time. And can't wait to follow along, not only this year for, for Davenport as I kind of root you guys on, um, but, but just follow your journey as well. And I'm sure we'll we'll get you back on here at some point. And now we both will nervously await whenever I release this on <laughs> on which of our uh, coaching buddies in Michigan will make fun of us first, but uh, exactly. but exactly. I, I need I, I need you to have a good year and win a lot of games. So anytime they say anything, I can shoot back. Uh, what was your score against Davenport? So I'm, I have a, exactly. an extra rooting interest in you this year. <laughs> exactly. Well, I appreciate you having me, Doug, and as always, appreciate everything you've always done for me and helping me get my start in this whole thing. And I'm uh, excited to to hear the podcast once it comes out. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Coach. All right. See you, Doug. And that concludes this episode of the Dynamic Coaching Tools podcast. Thank you to Coach Ethan Lazier from Davenport University for spending some time with us. At Dynamic Coaching Tools, our mission is to provide resources, content, events, and services to help empower coaches to thrive in today's competitive coaching landscape. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dynamic Coaches. You can check out our YouTube page for updated content, and you can also look at our website, which is www.dynamiccoachingtools.com. We're so excited to continue to try to serve you and give you the opportunity to grow and improve and get better as a coach as we all work together to grow the game.